asking the right questions will unlock your best life. They are the keys to enjoying more clarity, passion, balance, and confidence. Hi, I'm Todd Parker. And I'm Bridget Sampson. We're certified executive and life coaches, communication professors, trainers, consultants, and most importantly, parents. We're also dear friends who love diving into those deep conversations about life, relationships, family, and careers. All things about being a curious and compassionate human on this planet. So please join us, and we know you'll find something valuable that resonates with wherever you are on your journey. So welcome back to episode 10 of the Right Questions podcast. As always, I am here with my wonderful and amazing co-host, Bridget Sampson. How are you doing today, Bridget? I am excited today, especially because, Todd, this is our first time interviewing a guest together. So yes. all these all these milestones for us, it's very exciting. Yeah, exactly. So we are so, just so excited, like, really excited to be not just interviewing somebody, but this somebody is somebody that brings us a whole lot of wisdom. And I do mean wisdom. He may not, you know, he's going to roll his eyes, I know. But the guest on the pod today is Mr. Quan Gan. Please, Bridget, everybody, I know there's no real applause button, but welcome. Yay, yeah, Quan, Quan. we're so excited. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us. Yay, we applaud you. So I didn't want him to have to sit there on camera and, and you not, you know, get an introduction. But I want to I want to build up who this individual is that you see and that you're going to be hearing from today. Quan, he's a very successful, very interesting, but above all, great human being. He is a proud father of two wonderful young children. So his hands are full because he's not only has two children been happily married for 10 years, but he has two great businesses in the entertainment, specifically the live entertainment industry. His main business, Gantum Lighting, is responsible for producing the world's smallest DMX lighting fixtures. That's right. Every theme park, all the entertainment that you see all over the globe. I'm building it up, I know, but you will see Quan's wonderful creations on display, right? Making them come to life. So that's not just really the reason that we have Quan on today, though. Right. He has a huge circle of influence and a huge passion for helping not just anyone, but really underserved, underprivileged and actually less active, which we'll get to individuals. Right, Quan. He's a really well-rounded individual. He serves on the board of Stream, which is a global innovations and uh, uh foundation of 5013C nonprofit that's mission in is to serve and connect the underserved, underprivileged youth in our community with careers, specifically in technology, science, right? And they also are involved in engineering, arts, I'm sure manufacturing, I'm sure Quan will talk a little bit about that later. A few more things about Quan. He is a member of the EO Entrepreneurs Organization. His business, his, he'll, he'll tell you about, has, has seen great value from being a part of this membership. And lastly, what I really enjoy self-described techie, nerdy individual who just loves drones. He jokes that he enjoys robots so much that he might be one. That's right. <laughs> and really, last thing I'll say about him, he identifies strongly, and you'll hear why I'm bringing this up, with the type 3 
Enneagram personality type, Enneagram. We're going to talk about that today. It's part of the reason we're having him on this show. But Quan, I know that was a huge buildup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic. I feel a lot of energy. So uh, thank you for inviting me onto the show. Incredibly honored and uh, very excited to be able to, to share some of the things I've learned over the past with you and your guests. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to jump right into it. Quan, you have an interesting story. All right. And before we get to, we often reveal the question for the show up front, and I'm going to save that for a moment. I want the guests to know a little bit about your story because you come from this, this kind of this odd route into the world as you write and as, as other interviews and have talked about like your first kind of venture outside of corporate America was into this thing, this thing, this first haunted attraction in, in China, mainly in China called Shanghai Nightmare, like this totally random thing. Can you tell us just like a little bit about how that all came about and kind of launched you into what you do today? Yeah, yeah. So I guess we actually have to start pretty early in my childhood. So um, as an immigrant moving to the States, that was probably like one of the biggest identity crisis that I had to go through. And also, you know, being a first generation immigrant family, we didn't have really much to start with. So what I thought was my way out or, you know, how I become successful later in life was really through school, through studying. And it's also a very kind of a traditional Asian American cookie cutter path, basically just excelling at whatever you do scholastically. And went through that, went through engineering university, and ultimately landed in a, a corporate job. But I came to a quick realization, you know, within a few months at this corporate job, it was so anticlimactic that I was like, really, did I just bust my ass over a decade getting a top raise just so I would just sit at a desk nine to five? And I could see the life drain out. Like I could feel it draining out of me, especially if I saw, you know, somebody in the next cube, they've been there for 20 years and it's just not what I wanted to do. And that was a huge, like a wake up moment for me because I, I realized I was chasing the wrong thing all, all along and this haunted house thing. And maybe we could talk a little bit later more about like the decision in between, but ultimately that was like a complete polar opposite from the path that I thought was kind of decided for myself, maybe through my parents or society or, you know, external expectations, but I wanted to build a haunted house and there were a bunch of like opportunities that kind of led to it. One being I volunteered at a haunted house when I was in college and I scared the crap out of like hundreds, if not thousands of people over the course of an evening. And it just stuck in the back of my brain. And in the Halloween industry, they call that catching the bug. And so this bug was ingrained into my brain. And when I went to China, it was actually through Intel, my, my corporate job. So my, my girlfriend, who is actually now my wife, you know, happily married for, for 10 years, she introduced me to the electronics and the parts market in Shanghai. And me being an engineer and a builder, I was like, I need to do something with this. And somehow that bug came back and it crossed with this opportunity. I'm like, we got to build something. Let's build a haunted house because they didn't have one. And that's kind of where we are. Why not? Yeah. Well, let's just, because yeah. that idea just makes sense. Let's build a haunted house. It <laughs> totally makes sense. Yeah. And actually one of my posts on Facebook, I think it, it did get a bunch of attention from my friends, probably just more like, what the hell did he 
actually say. Yeah. I said I quit my corporate job so I could start a haunted house in China. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh my goodness. I wonder what your parents thought of that, Quan. Oh, That's what uh, I was thinking. Yeah. Oh, they, we had a big fight. I'm not going to lie about that. I think throughout my upbringing, there were a couple of, you know, major conflicts with my parents. Um, and, you know, for for them, they their expectation was study because that's all they knew. And that was their only way out. So it made sense that that was also for me. So they wanted, like, if they had their way, I would have a PhD and I would be in academia or something like that. So it was very much against the grain, but ultimately uh, also being the, the only son, like mm. I have a little bit more, I guess, uh, maybe, maybe spoiledness or whatever, but just push in my will towards them. So they know they can't win with me. So ultimately they just became very supportive. Yeah. And well, now they must be so proud of you. Look at how successful you are as an entrepreneur. So maybe, do you think you've kind of convinced them that maybe this was the path for you? By now? <laughs> yes. Uh, ultimately, I, I have convinced them. And I think it was even after maybe the first couple of months when we had something to show for our venture, it was trying to get a lot of attention that they're like, okay, maybe there is something behind this. And since then, they've just been incredibly supportive, uh, you know, especially now because we're going through some very challenging times as a society, as a globe. They've been some of the foundational backbone of my everyday life. So I, I'm incredibly blessed to have both of my parents here. Yeah. Yeah. Quan, you know, it strikes me that you were, like you said, going against the grain and bucking kind of an edict or an expectation from your family, right? And culturally. So here we often talk about the right questions, right? That's the show. Could I ask, what was a question, if you think back to that time that was guiding you to take that really huge risk and just big departure from what you had known and what you had been kind of encouraged to do your whole life? So it's hard to say the question back then, because I don't think I had the self-awareness back then. But right now, you know, given what I've learned in the past couple of years is what's actually you? You know, the question is, is my tendency some maybe a social framework that has been imposed on me, or is it actually what makes my nature happy? And so maybe back then it was just like this gut feeling of like, this doesn't feel right. Like if I just sit here and do what the, the boss tells me for the next 20, 30 years, like I don't think I can actually do it with enough passion. And I found different escapes. Like I had to take on some hobbies and basically I was just waiting to clock out every day. You know, I think that was a sign of like, no, this is not for me because I'm just trying to make the time go by. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's a great kind of transition to really what brought about having you on the show today, right? Uh, you know, we were having a discussion about personal insights, right? Like self-development and habits for success or often our topics here. And you brought up something that really affected you and gave you a lot of insight. And that was the, the Enneagram book, right? The Wisdom of the Enneagram. Who are the authors on it? Uh, Rizzo and... Rizzo and Hudson. Yeah, Rizzo and Hudson. So you said you were a, number, a three, a strong three, strong identifier, which is the achiever, 
And really, we hit pause, just so the listeners know, right? We were all chatting about this, and we hit pause. We said, you know what? We can't go any further with this discussion. We have to just have it live for everybody around entrepreneurism, workaholism, and really the question that Quan just threw out, like, just came flying out. I said, we got to explore that. He says, like, I had to ask myself, why do I work myself to death? So that's the question we've come here, Bridget, myself, Quan, to try to explore for everybody and maybe offer some thoughts or resources on why do I work myself to death? And so Quan, if you could talk a little bit about like, why that question? Where does it come from? Yeah. So of course, I can only speak from my own perspective because I don't know the personalities of other entrepreneurs, but I have found in my, in the recent couple of years of interacting with entrepreneurs, there is a disproportional number of them who tend to be type threes, the achiever type. And this book, I actually have to give credit where it's due, was introduced to me by Thomas Ip, another EO member several years ago. And when I just went through the, um, and I think it was another book, but it was just describing the different personality types. It was like type one is blah, 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 type two, blah, blah, blah. And I could find elements of myself relating to each one. But it wasn't until when they talked about type three, I was like, holy crap, like this is essentially the entire chapter just about my life. It fit like a glove minus my name. It has such a strong resonance almost to a comical level that I was like, okay, you have my attention. Let me see what are the character, I guess, uh, the maybe the benefits and also the flaws of this character type. Yeah. And so the benefits are that, you know, the achiever type, they're very action oriented. We're about excelling and being the best at what we can. And any competition, any metric you put in front of us, we will, you know, hit that to its highest marks. And that's, we derive our energy and uh, even some of our self-worth to that. And that actually comes into where it becomes a detriment because you have to be very aware of where those metrics actually came from. Are those metrics something that society imposed on you or just kind of chased or put a carrot in front of you and we're just arbitrarily chasing? Or is it something that I actually put in front of myself as a metric that I should be achieving? And even though I've been with it or I've known the Enneagram for the past three or four years, it didn't really come to a head until about a month ago where I was essentially just working myself into numbness and exhaustion. Mm. And I had to take a pause. And this was also from a help of a friend who was a, just acting as a mirror for me, like just noticing I wasn't caring for myself and I was just burning out and just asking, you know, why are you actually doing this? What happens if you don't like, you know, can you not do it? And can you slow down? And by just, Asking that question deeper and deeper, I realized a lot of these expectations were external and arbitrary that I just kind of projected out there thinking that I needed to hit a certain deadline when it wasn't, you know, it was really self-misery, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you obviously, and I know it, you started to make a change, right? Like just came and kind of smacked you across the face. Like, hey, what are you doing? (laughs) It came from a friend. What was it, though, that was, how can I put it? If it's not to achieve, right, because it's called the achiever, right? Why am I working my, myself to death? Is it to achieve or is it something else? What did you mm-hmm. find out or what are you finding out? I think it's to achieve the internal goals, mm. the ones that are meaningful for me and my soul. 
and not goals that I perceive as being valuable by society, by parents, by family, but what actually is truly meaningful to me. And also part of this was a, a reconciliation of what happens when all of this go away. And it will go away because everybody has to face death at some point. So all the physical accumulations that we've made throughout life, we do have to eventually give it back. And I've been trying to reconcile that for, I don't know, for as long as I can remember, maybe in the recent 10 years of, okay, so I've gained this, you know, whether that's, you know, financially or physically or something, I've gained it. But then there's also this inherent fear of loss of what I've gained. And ultimately, we do have to lose all of that, right? You know, when we die, we lose everything that we've gained other than, you know, maybe what came with us spiritually. And so that fear had to be reconciled with. And I, and going through this exercise was this mental exercise, just realize, okay, what is actually important to me? Because all the external stuff, when they go away, I need to somehow maybe, um, make it less important or be less attached to it so that I could go on every day being in the present moment instead of fearing the eventual loss of those things. Kwan, that's so profound and powerful to me. And I want to just acknowledge a little bit the role of the entrepreneurs organization, or at least the community there, because I've heard people share similar experiences to what you just shared. You know, I know a lot of people in the entrepreneurs organization. My husband, Neil, who was our last guest, is the president of your chapter, of our chapter, because I'm in EO Accelerator and you're a full-fledged EO member. And I've heard so many people express what you just shared. And I know for me, I've always been, I would say, a small-scale entrepreneur. I've had a small, very successful small business, and I'm in the small business membership accelerator in EO. And I always had the perception that people were who were really successful in their businesses, people like you and my husband, Neil, were all about money and acquisition and having big houses and, and lots of material things. And what I'm get, now getting like really close and friendly with a lot of EO members like Kalika and Margalit and so many amazing mentors in my life, Lauren, you know, and you and just so many people, I see the opposite. I see this transcendent, you know, like, okay, now that I have all the material things, I realize those things don't matter. They don't lead to happiness. They don't lead to fulfillment and satisfaction. I want to do something more meaningful and deeper. And that's what people talk about in your forums your entrepreneur organization forums at events, you know, and connecting with other people. There's this depth that people automatically kind of jump to in conversations and experiences together. And I just want to share that it completely changed my, my stereotypes about entrepreneurs. I had, and I think many people have those stereotypes, right? That you're all about the money and the fame and the acquisition. And it's so not about, I mean, there probably are people like that out there, but they're certainly not in EO, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is not what's going on there. You, you can't even promote your business in any way, shape, or form in EO. It's all about like deep, deep personal growth and transcending all of that materialism to do something much bigger and, and deeper and like spiritually aligned. And I don't mean religion, but is that what you found as well? Yeah, yeah, I think, and this is how it relates to, to me as a type three is the more I gravitate towards having things or, you know, these achievements, I found the less satisfied I actually am from a spiritual or soul level because there's this hunger, this constant hunger that doesn't ever get satisfied. 
You know, it's like you climb this one summit and then you realize, oh, there's just another higher summit. And it's like you get a short momentary gratification. Then you feel this like despair of, oh man, how much work do I need to put in to hit that other mark? And it wasn't something that we put there. It was, you know, many of us, I think maybe we might think we put it there, but it's, it's not actually us. It's actually our ego putting it there because we were hungry for always more and more. That's so true. And the psychological research completely supports that, as we know, that we all kind of have a baseline of satisfaction in our lives. And it's only when we go deep inside that we can increase that. And if we're seeking it in external validation and material sources, we're just going to be more and more disappointed about how those don't do it. So that it's really, really meaningful what you're sharing, Quan. You know, Quan, as you're saying that, I was thinking you talk about that next level, right? We all and the vision that came to my mind was the moment that Obama in his first election had just was walking off stage and had just given like, okay, I'm I'm president. He won. And he he did his acceptance speech that night and he walked, they walked off and Michelle walked off in front of him. And then I remember he like turned around. And looked out at, you know, I think at the huge park, right? It's just all the people were there, you know, people were crying. So it was such a, a beautiful moment. But to me, what he turned around to do was like, take stock, like take a moment to go like, wow, like this just happened. And we often don't do that because the next moment or probably the next day or within a few days, it's like, okay, now what? Now what? Now what's the legacy going to be? What am I going to do with this position in the world, right? And so to turn it back to you and the achiever type three, right? And this idea of being an entrepreneur, workaholism, which I've heard you mention multiple times, which leads to, as you said, maybe a poorer work life or just a poor balance among the things that might be important in our lives, right? And to take stock of that. So could you talk a little bit about what the understanding of this, right? Because you said it was an internal goal now rather than external things, materialism, right? What did it do, this wisdom, this, this knowledge? What did it do? Did it release you? What did it do for you? So just by communicating this verbally, I have to say it is only like, it does not do the actual concept justice. It's basically linearizing and flattened this concept into a projection that we could express through a video media, <laughs> but yeah, as best yeah. as I can describe it is really just a focus on the present. And it may sound very simple, but to me, what it is, is the type three tendency, which I shared earlier, was constantly looking at what that next goal is. How do I hit that next goal? And that creates a lot of despair because we're not there yet. We're never there because as soon as we get there, never it's there. another moving yeah. target. So that is a projection of your happiness on what's in the future or what did you do in the past that you could have done better, right? So you're never actually present, but this refocus on how am I feeling right here, right now? You know, what is my energy level of being able to speak to you guys on this, you know, at this very you know, moment in time, how do I feel right now? And if I feel energized like this, every part of the way throughout my entire day, that's all that matters. What happens in front or behind, those are just projections. They're not actually real. And they talk about this even in Stoicism. You don't actually own anything. You don't own anything other than this infinitesimally small present moment. And that's, and that's it. And, and just being okay with that concept. So then what are you trying to achieve today then? Has it changed? 
the goals may not have changed, but I think my reasons for those goals and how I show up to getting through the day certainly does. We might still have this conversation. I might still have the next meeting and all that, but I stop thinking about what's coming up next. I think about just right now and I'm not worrying about, you know, like, are we having, you know, financial struggles, which many of us are, but it's not affecting me as much because I, I am released in a way from the gravity of that, just because, you know, it's not actually real until it's actually here. Yeah, that's so true. I think that so many of us and so many people right now are really spending a lot of time in worry and concern, which is totally understandable. And we can have so much empathy for that. And if we can just try to remember what you're saying, Quan, is like, just be here in this moment. If everything's okay right now, what's the next step you can take? What can you do right now that's going to be the best use of your time and energy and help you the most? And it's really hard to do that, to stay in that. But that's what helps us to get to the longer term goal and to be able to solve these very difficult, very real problems that many of us are facing. So it's so powerful. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I have a question, Quan, that I'm wondering, we are, Todd and I are very lucky to have a very diverse audience, right? So we do have a lot of entrepreneur friends who listen. We have teachers, we have students, we have coaching clients. So I am thinking, you know, as we're sharing all of this, because we are all working in small businesses, those of us having this conversation, what might you say, Quan, to the person who still is in that nine to five job, but, but really can connect with what you're saying, really wants to achieve and, and accomplish more and maybe start their own business or maybe start a side gig that, you know, I know Kalika, who's like one of my great mentors is always like, just start a side gig. You know, you can start a little something just a couple hours a week. Everyone has an entrepreneur potential in them. So like, what would we say to folks who feel compelled by what you're sharing, but maybe feel stuck and like, it's not possible for them when we know it is possible. And we're not saying it has to be a business, but whatever it is you dream of that you can take steps in that direction. So I think it comes back to the why. Uh, very much similar to Simon Sinek's TED talk about, you know, what is your actual why? And I think entrepreneurship, that's just one of the hows or the what's that you decide to do based on whatever your why is. So I, I don't think a nine to five job is fundamentally wrong. It just didn't fit my life and my personality type. So I think it's really just asking yourself, what is your why? Why do you get up every morning and go to work? Like, what happens if you don't like asking those questions of, you know, what are the consequences or am I doing this just because I'm on autopilot because of, you know, society having these expectations. So I, I think once you could come to an understanding of what your actual why is, all the other stuff kind of falls into place. As long as you're true to your why, if you're betraying your why, then no matter what you find yourself doing, you're just not going to enjoy it. So true. That is so true. So many of us, I really try to do that. I'm going to remember that are just doing things because we've been doing them and they seem like the, the path of least resistance, right? To just keep doing it this way. An example of that that comes to mind for me is last year, I took Amy Porterfield's Digital Course Academy and I was so inspired by all the people there because so many of them were people in full-time jobs but they had this dream to teach something, to share a message, whatever it is. It was from like art to photography, to painting, to coaching, to, you know, the kind of work you do, technology, you know, and people who just want to put courses out there. And they're most of, many of them have all kinds of obligations in their lives where they could say, I don't have time for this to do this extra and invest in myself to take this course. 
So I think there are so many examples we can look to people who really are clear on their why. They're passionate about something and maybe they can only spend an hour or two a week on it, or maybe they can completely, maybe they are on a plan to completely leave whatever their obligation is now career-wise and go after that. But I think, you know, I just want to, I want to encourage anyone out there who's thinking it's not possible for me to have a, allow for a mindset shift, have a growth mindset. You know, you can have a paradigm shift, hear us. It is, it is possible. And it may not feel like it now, but if you can take one tiny step, one toe in some direction, some group or community who's doing it, you know, and or some uh, find a mentor, you know, I found so many people who have been so kind to share with me their journey in a conversation. If you say to someone, can we just chat for 20 minutes? A lot of people are willing to say, sure, I'll share. And I'm sure you do that a lot for folks too, Quan. So I just hope this inspired, I hope that you, Quan, have inspired people as much as you have me in this conversation. So I'm sorry, I'm probably going off track from where the conversation is supposed to go. (laughs) Todd and Quan, take it away from me. Yeah, I I do want to add that, you know, it, it may not be in the strict definition of working for yourself or an entrepreneurship, but you could take ownership of any role you have on a day to day basis, whether that's, uh, you know, taking care of your family, your loved ones. Right. But you could be a creative and that could drive your why. So it doesn't have to be, oh, I need to quit my job and start something completely new. Exactly. And to tie it more back to our question, I just I'm seeing the connection very clearly, but I want to make sure this question of why do I work myself to death is so powerful in this process that we're talking about, because so many of us are working so hard and so many hours But how much of that work is really aligned with that why, with what really matters to us? And that's the question we want to really ask ourselves as well, right? But Quan, the wisdom, right? The knowledge that you turned into wisdom by, you know, playing with this idea of a type three and bringing you now into, sounds like being far more present. I heard a lot of gratitude and like appreciation in the things you were saying. It just, again, very grounding and putting you in the present. Has that led being now far more present with people, with yourself, with maybe your businesses? I don't know. Has it led to any new insights or new creativity that you can speak to? I certainly feel a different level of energy overall, just how, you know, throughout the day. And actually to kind of to look back into this thing that's specifically a type three, the tendency was to work yourself to death and just not knowing why you're doing it. But the way to counteract that for me, at least over the past, a little bit more than a month now, is forcing myself to slow down, going the exact opposite direction of working myself to death. It's my default tendency is I wake up and I basically jump right to the computer and start, whether that's coding or email or something, just running. But that's like, you know, the rain hitting your windshield and just doing a single wipe. It never actually clears the rain off because you've got to constantly do it. And that is draining. So I think what, what I've done in the past month is really just every day for the first two and a half, close to three hours is actually not work, but self-work. You know, whether that's through exercise or meditation or yoga and things like that. And just really spending time with myself so that I, I know how I carry the day is how I set the intention and not just some external metric that I'm trying to hit. And that's changed my perception a lot. 
Well, we're so, Bridget and I, you know, and I know you, Quan, we're so big on self-care and on balance, making sure that we take as great a care as, of self as possible so that we can then show up in service in the best way possible for others, right? Take care of self so you can take care, take care of others. And so Quan, I want to ask then, has it led, because I was look, I did some research into the Enneagram and I was very struck by, you know, Bridget and I teach um, true colors. We teach personality tests and stuff. So I was very struck by it. I'm curious because we're coming out of like Valentine's Day the other day. And if you haven't, by the way, a little thing, a little plug, Bridget did an interview with her spouse, Neil, her partner, Neil, who just... Did you did you check it out? Oh my gosh. Right? Lots there's some great vulnerability and authenticity if you want to know about love. But Quan, you know, so check out that uh, was that episode 9 of our podcast with Quan. Has it led to difference change in any relationship like say with your partner or anyone Actually, else? Actually, this ties in great to your episode which talks about how you guys <laughs> have been able to go through all the different marital struggles and and how to find happiness through that. And I think by working on myself, and this is in your guys' words, it gets me to 90% yes. of a whole person, right? And the and my partner tops it off with the, the 10% versus being only half and expecting the other person to fill in. So by understanding myself, yeah, every morning that allows me to be a, a fuller person to present to my wife. Thank you for watching that on YouTube. I can tell that you definitely watched the whole thing. <laughs> and I'm so glad to hear that that's true in your experience as well. I was hoping it would resonate and not sound. Relationships are hard. hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I yeah. certainly don't want to sound like just because we've been married for a long time that we know everything we are learning and failing and trying again. And as you know, you know, Quantitat is it's work and it's one of our greatest opportunities for self-work as well, because we're always, our partner can always mirror back to us where we still have room to grow. And that's a beautiful gift. It is. Yeah. Right. And to kind of tie it all together then, right? It's the way in which our business, if we're an entrepreneur, right? Our business and the way we show up as an executive, right? The way we show up as a CEO, the way we show up for both our job, for our work, right? As leaders, that all of it is inextricably linked and intimately connected. And what I hear, Quan, and what is always why I love chatting with you is that you're a seeker, right? And that you're, you are, whether it be the achiever that you've brought now, you know, for our discussion today, or the next thing that you'll bring when I talk to you next. And I can recall the last thing that we talked about, right, at, at lunch, uh, you know, a couple months ago, that you're a seeker. And, I, and so to turn that to our listeners, right, one thing I really want to emulate, but that I take away from you is the value in seeking out more and more and more knowledge to allow for that growth of, you know, that self-growth. So Quan, are there some resources that you could recommend? I know we've got the Enneagram, the wisdom of the Enneagram. <laughs> what are some other, yeah, oh, look, he's holding it right now. Yeah. yeah, I spend daily on this book, just at least 15 minutes, just to kind of give, ask the right questions to myself. Yeah. That's one of them. <laughs> we didn't tell him to say that. That was Love totally it. Thanks for throwing, of his own. Yeah, the podcast <laughs> name in there. <laughs> yeah. So the wisdom of the Enneagram. And is, I do want to ask, though, is there anything else that's been really influential that you think our listeners in seeking would benefit from? Well, Audible, because 
at least for me, just being able to listen to things. And actually, I read very slowly. So, so this book actually forces me to slow down uh, in a good way. But over the past couple of years, once I discovered audiobooks and the ability to, to actually speed through some of the, the listening, it just allowed me to be able to download a lot more self-help content in a very, I guess, digestible format versus before I wasn't able to slow down and actually read through the pages. But just having that tool to my disposal and, you know, everybody's going to prefer different things. So I can't really necessarily recommend a particular book other than this one I'm currently reading. But I would say just having a, a medium that and also the giving yourself enough time to dedicate to self-improvement on a daily basis, no matter what that is. Right. I think that was really important. So I hear the habits then of self-care of balance, of spending time to both read and fill your mind with great stuff, as well as take care of your body. So the mental and the physical before stepping into the role of a creator or entrepreneur. Yes. And actually really quick to add to that. I think the more that a person feels they don't have the time to do it, it's actually a bigger sign that they need to do it. And I speak about this from experience, right? Because my, my tendency is to say, I'm too busy. I'm working. I'm trying to be productive here. But now I'm forcing myself to have two and a half, three hours in the morning so that I can actually lay a better foundation. That is so true. Yes. <laughs> Quan, you've given us a lot to think about and some obviously great resources and just wonderful spirit and wisdom. And as you said, energy to take with after this episode. I'm curious and I'm going to throw this to Bridget. We like to have our, you may not know this, Quan, but we like <laughs> to have each of our previous guests just throw out a question about, you know, what do you want us to ask our next guest? We don't know who it's going to be. We don't know what they're going to be talking about, but what's a question we should ask them? So I know Neil in the last episode had a question for our next guest, which is you, Bridget. What was, what was that question? Well, it's funny because now I know that Quan actually watched the video of my interview with Neil. So I don't know if you caught the so question. I don't know if you caught the question and realized that it was for you. I, I had an inkling that it was for me, but yeah. <laughs> but I'll repeat it just to make, make sure. And he knew that the question would go to you too, Quan. So you know Neil as the president of the EOLA North chapter. I know him as my partner, father of our children, and you know, person who should do his dishes more and all of that. But anyway. <laughs> Rinse your dishes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so his question was, and I think this is really connected to this idea of the Enneagram and you know, personality assessments that help us get to know ourselves and get to know each other on a deeper level. And I know we use those a lot in EO workshops and trainings and things that we do. So the question was, what is something that people don't know about you until they get to know you really well? Well, so uh, this whole conversation right here, this is one of those things that we've already mm -hmm. covered that. But I think uh, something a little bit more, uh, <laughs> maybe less serious, but it is something that mm -hmm. people are like, oh, oh really? is even though uh, I have two technology companies and I'm a techie nerd and all that, but my family, we live sustainably on, a, on some acreage. We're trying to grow our own food. So my other car is actually a tractor, you know, so wow. yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people probably know that about you. I did not know that until you just said that. <laughs> when we were, I'll throw this in there, when we were on talking the other day, we were talking about solar panels for something and Quan was like, oh my gosh, I got a, 
tie down the solar panels because we had the crazy windstorm. He's like, they're going to fly away. Ah. <laughs> he ran out. Ran I did bolt it down since then. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I, and like, I think that's something that I notice among the community of entrepreneurs, the people who've done well, because we have done the same thing at our house. Thanks to Neil. I have no idea how it all works, but he reports that we're completely off the grid now with our solar power. And when we lose power, which we do a lot in our area, our solar powered system kicks in. So I love how, you know, people like all of you are on the cutting edge of, of moving toward green power and sustainability. And that's really fascinating to hear and growing it. We do have a small garden. That's actually one of the things that then Neil did in the entrepreneurs organization chapters. Everybody got a garden. Yes. <laughs> Everybody got it. Yeah. Right. Are you doing yours? Well, it was Con? like, you get a garden. I love it. You get a garden. Yeah, like everybody that. got it delivered to their house during this pandemic. So we all got our setup for a, a wood box with a garden. Ours is doing amazing. Oh, I eat salad from it all the time. Yeah. But you know a lot more about this. Obviously, you're doing your own farming. So that's fascinating. So you do a lot of your own food then. Yeah. So actually, I would say it's 100% my wife. It's her vision. Uh-huh. She's full-time mom <laughs> slash farmer, actually, out in the, the field. But I would say most of our veggies come from our garden. And we have like, I think maybe 20 chickens. So fresh eggs every day. So Nice. What an experience for your kids too. Yeah. My kids are barefoot kids. They can run <laughs> on rock, mulch, concrete, whatever, all barefoot. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Well, Quan, you get to choose. Maybe you thought of it. Maybe you're going to think of it right now. What's a question that we need to ask our next guest on behalf of you? How do you start your mornings? How do you start? Yes. Great what one. Great Love it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Quan. We, we'll have fun with that Something we one. all need to. Yeah. And we all yes. need to think about because as you said, it's, it's a critical part of, of the system and the habits for success. Well, Quan, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for coming on and sharing all of this with us, with our listeners. And, you know, there's a, a lot of great takeaways from what we've had here today and really just the starting point for everybody to do a deeper exploration of self so that they might, you know, gain some of this same wisdom and be able to apply it, you know, in their own lives for whatever they're after is really the goal here. Any, any final thoughts, Quan, and then we'll throw it to Bridget. I'm just incredibly humbled and also blessed to be here with you guys and to have known you guys throughout, you know, my entrepreneurial journey to have met you and also worked with you guys in the past. So I just feel like I'm amongst great friends and we're, we're vibing on the same level of energy. I get a lot from doing this too. So if this message can help more people, then, you know, that's, that's wonderful. Oh, that's beautiful, Quan. I feel exactly the same way. I woke up so excited this morning and coming to the microphone and the Zoom. It was like, oh my gosh, I know it's going to be such an amazing conversation because it's Quan. So I thank you for that. You've really inspired us and we had a great conversation. And now this episode will live forever. So, you know, you can always share it with people and be like, hey, you want to get to know me? Here you go. Listen to this episode. Here's your little shortcut to knowing Quan, and then you can ask questions from there. No, but seriously, I think it was a really great conversation and we got to know you better. And once this darn pandemic is over, I really look forward to seeing you at EO events because we are EO family together. And that means a lot to me in addition to just you're an amazing human being. And we just are so inspired by everything that you've shared. Thank you so much. And and a big real hug once it's real. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Hugs. Yeah. Virtual hugs. (laughs) Yes. 
Well, Quan, thank you again. And as always, to all of you out there, be good people and make good choices. We'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Right Questions podcast. We hope this episode sparked something that fuels your own inquiry and transformation. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. If you want to learn more about the work we do and how it can benefit you, check out our website, SampsonCoachingAndConsulting.com. And connect with me on Instagram at the Bridget Sampson. And you can find me at Todd Parker Official. We'll catch you next week. Until then, dare to ask the right questions.